Well, good morning, church. I hope that you have enjoyed the service so far. How many of you know that it is so powerful to hear that Jesus is at the center of everything? How many of you, that's your testimony? If that's you, why don't you put Jesus at the center in the comments? Jesus is at the center of our lives, the center of our salvation, and yes, the center of our existence. The Word of God says that He is before all things and that by Him all things hold together. Jesus is literally holding everything together. And I don't know about you, but that gives me such confidence that Jesus is at the center of everything. I am so excited about the Word that God is going to deliver today. It's not my Word. It is a Word directly from the Spirit of God. And our text today is in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 25. And while you're flipping or clicking to Mark chapter 5, I want to make two announcements for you here. The first announcement is a few months ago, I announced that we were going to be launching our NDCC Pensacola Church app. And let me tell you, that app is ready to go in the iOS and also Android app store. So come on, let's put our hands together and thank God. So listen, I know some of you are asking the question, what does that mean? Well, that means that you can do pretty much any and everything you desire to do as it relates to our church directly from the app. You can give from the app. You can watch our services from the app. You can take notes from the app. You can connect from the app. So I'm really excited about that. There's a link in the comment section that in our pinned comment that will actually take you directly to that app if you have an Android or if you have an iPhone and you will be able to download that. Once again, let's put our hands together and thank God for the innovation and expansion of getting a church app. And then secondarily, I do want us to remain in prayer and prayerful for a number of people in our extended church family who are struggling and going through things, especially in this time of COVID, I want us to be mindful of the fact that people are still losing loved ones, that COVID-19 is still a pandemic. And so I want you to keep in prayer a number of people, and I'm going to pray for them here in a second. But um, Elder Melvin Hampton, his uncle went home to be with the Lord, and his mother is also in the hospital in ICU as well. We also want to lift up our drummer, James Davis. His sister went home to be with the Lord, and a number of members of his family are also struggling with COVID-19. And of course, as I mentioned before in our midweek Bible study, the Benson family is struggling with losses on both sides of their family. Elder Julius's uncle went home to be with the Lord, and Elder Paula's aunt also went home to be with the Lord. And then finally, the Brills family, Rachel's uh, grandmother, went home to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago. So if you would lift up all these people in prayer, reach out to them, encourage them. It is important for us. I feel and sense a heaviness in this moment because there's so much loss that's happening in the midst of this transition to a new year. And I want us to remain prayerful, uplifting, and encouraging. So will you go before the Lord with me in prayer as we lift up these concerns and prepare for the word today? God in heaven, we petition you, the God who holds all things together, to be at the center of our lives and to be at the center of this church. God, we pray that your comforting spirit would rest upon every member of the house. Even if we are not facing the loss of a family member, many of us are facing similar or certain losses in our situations. And God, I pray that there would be the healing balm of the Holy Spirit that would inhabit every single home that is watching. God, we lift up specific members by name because, God, you know them by name. God, we lift up Elder Melvin Hampton to you right now. 
as he is dealing with the loss of his uncle and also with his mother in ICU. We lift up James Davis to you right now. God, we ask that you would comfort his family at the loss of his sister and that you would raise up his mother and the other family members in his household that are struggling with COVID-19. God, we ask that you would lift up the Benson family, that you would wrap them in your arms based upon the losses of aunts and uncles and the Brill family as well, God, as they lost their grandmother. God, I pray that supernatural comfort, peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory, love that is beyond all comprehension, the presence of God would be felt. God, you do not know any distance between cameras and technology and times and pre-recordings. So God, I pray that right now your spirit would flood into those households, those households and those homes and would wrap around each one of them and that they would feel the refreshing peace of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for those who are struggling with COVID-19 who have not passed, but just dealing with either lingering side effects or the aftermath of recovery. I pray that you would heal them, that you would bring them into full and total and complete healing. And God, we ask that as we open up your word today, I pray that the healing power would flow through this word, that those who need to hear it would be gripped, would be arrested by this word. God, there can't be a fire in anyone's place if there was an iceberg behind the pulpit. So light me on fire, God, that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your justice, burn for your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our text today, again, is Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 25 through 30. Mark chapter 5, verse 25, the writer pens, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, verse 28, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Just touch the hem of his garment. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, this is our question, who touched my clothes? Who touched me? We've been going through a sermon series entitled, Now What?, where we've been asking the questions of ourselves that Jesus asked in his earthly life and ministry. We've gone through three questions so far. We've gone through the question, do you believe? We've gone through the question, why are you so afraid? Last week, we went through the question, uh, we went through this particular question of, do you want to get well? And today, this question is one of my favorites. It's the question that Jesus asked, who touched me? Somebody put touched in the comments. Who touched me? You know, growing up, uh, I know most of us have a favorite day of the week. Most of us have a time. Most people say, thank God it's Friday, right? T-G-I-F. But growing up, I have to tell you, my favorite day of the week was always Saturday. And as an only child for nine years, I enjoyed Saturdays for a number of different reasons. Uh, the first of which was obvious. It was a break from the Monday through Friday routine of going to school, having to engage in rigorous learning and homework and education and assignments and the strictness of the school that I attended. That was one benefit of Saturday. 
But then the second was, it was my day that it, I was able to spend with my parents. It was the day that we were able to connect just the three of us. You know, Sundays are for PKs and in pastors' households, they're all booked up. And so we would still be able to do some things on Sunday, but it would be a little bit different. There would be the aftermath of church and perhaps emergencies and meetings that would come up. But Saturday, it was our day. And the third reason I really enjoyed Saturdays is because they culminated in the same climax. Saturdays culminated in the same moment. My favorite moment of every Saturday, and the truth of which is that no matter what we were doing on a Saturday, we would always find ourselves at this particular place. Some of you who are familiar with my family already know what that place is. You see, it didn't matter if we were having a breakfast as a family, didn't matter if we were going to the mall, didn't matter if I had swim lessons that day or if me and my dad were playing basketball, we were always going to end up at a particular place. This place, this sacred place, this holy place, this place of sweet communion is a place called Krispy Kreme Donuts. Yes, of course, I'm talking about God's donuts, the donuts that God anointed and touched, the donuts that the angels come around down in and they swirl the batter and they create the donuts. That's how Krispy Kreme donuts are created. And see, some of you aren't from around here. And if you're not from around here, and, or, or maybe if you're like me and you're on the fast, you know, that the church is going through, you might, you might be distant from this and you might not want to talk about this. But the truth of the matter is, if they didn't melt in your mouth, they weren't real donuts. If you didn't do this at the end to brush off the icing, they weren't real donuts. If they didn't have that sweetness that makes you go, mmm, and that makes you rush to grab something to wash down the sweetness, you didn't have real donuts. You see, I would always get the same order, one glaze, one chocolate ice glaze, and I'd always eat the chocolate ice glaze first. And there was something special about this, and, and there's something holy about Krispy Kreme donuts. Can I get a witness? Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? And, and and it's interesting because we always used to end up at the right time. Some of y'all know the game. You're supposed to end up, you're supposed to drive through Krispy Kreme. You're supposed to go sit down at the counter pre and post COVID. You're supposed to sit down at the counter at the exact right time. And you know the right time because there's a sign on the outside. There's a sign on the outside and growing up that sign was the illumination. It was the green light, even though it was a red light that was showing me that now was the time to partake of God's holy communion. Now was the time to partake of God's donuts. And there was something about that sign. It introduced me to a particular word that's one of the most important words in the English language because the sign would say hot donuts now. <laughs> Some of y'all know. Hot Krispy Kreme now. Hot now. And as soon as you saw the now word, see, just because they were hot, come on, come on, let me, let me testify. Just because they were hot didn't mean anything because they might be hot for someone else at a different time. But if they were hot now, that meant something. If they were hot in the moment, that meant something. That meant we were in the right place at the right time. And the word now is extremely important in the context of our culture. Now means it means the literal present time or the immediate moment. Now means that you're getting immediate attention, immediate service, immediate payment, immediate consequence. There's something powerful about the word now. It's a very simple word. It's one word, one syllable, three letters, but the word now has a power to it. But now is not just important 
in the signification of the cultural moment, but now is just as important in the culture as it is in the scriptures. You see, the scriptures talks a lot about the now moment. The scriptures talk a lot about the now time. Second Corinthians 6, 2, it says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. John 4, 23, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen now. And I'm here repeating the word now because that's the word that God wants to say to you today in this sanctuary, in your home, in your living room. Now is the time. Now is the moment. Now is the hour. Now is the day. Now is the season. Now. Somebody type now in the comments. Now it's time to get free. Now it's time to remove your shackles. Now it's time for you to walk in everything God has called for you to walk in. Now it's time for you to get healed. Now it's time for you to get delivered. Now is the time. The word now may be, it may be small, but it carries with it a great power. Now is the time. And I mentioned the word now because there is a secret in our growth in God. There is a secret in our walk with Christ that cannot be understated. It cannot be underestimated. It is something that you must understand. It is a principle that most of us don't realize that the fact we're not growing in God is not simply because we don't know enough. It's not simply that because we don't have enough resources. It's not simply that we don't have the connectivity and community of our sanctuaries. It's because we haven't decided that now is the time. Catch this. Growing in God is not first about learning. It's about yearning. Let me say it again. Growing in God is not first about learning. It's about yearning. It's about a desire. It's about a motivation. It's about a desperation. It's about your innovation. It's about you pushing forward to the presence of God, saying it doesn't matter if I don't know enough. It doesn't matter if I don't have enough. It doesn't matter if I don't have enough books or connections or education. I desire to be in the presence of God. I got to reach for God and touch God. I got to reach for the spirit of God so that I may be healed, so that I may be transformed. Now is the time. Growth in God is not first about learning. It's about yearning. It's about your desire to say, now is my time. And I think there's a few people in this house. And I think there's a few people who are watching me who are honest enough to admit that you've been putting some things off. I want to speak to two groups of people today. I want to speak to first to the group of people who feel as though time, their now has passed them by. I know what you may be thinking. I've made too many mistakes. I may be too old. I may be too long gone, too far gone. I may be in a situation where I don't have the connection that I once did, and I should have taken advantage of my now moment years ago, but the reality is there is no moment that is past, that the moment that you think is past, God can revive that moment. He's the God of second and third and fourth and fifth and thousand chances. I know there's a few people who can testify that when I thought I was disqualified, God qualified me even in the midst of my disqualification. God gave me another opportunity to say now is the time for you to walk in everything that I've called you to walk in. I want to speak to those people who think time has passed them by. But secondly, I also want to speak to the group of people who think they have a lot of time left. I know what you're thinking. I'm young. Or, or perhaps you're not young, but you're in a safe place. Per perhaps you're not in the, in the safe place, but you're in a comfortable place. Uh, perhaps that's not it, and perhaps you just don't feel the pressure. You just don't feel what, what Dr. King called the fierce urgency of now. Perhaps you don't feel that. 
But I want to encourage you that now is the time. Don't delay what you should be walking in today. Let me say it again. Don't delay what you should be walking in today. Don't delay your purpose any longer, your healing any longer, your perseverance any longer, your purpose any longer, your worth any longer. Now is the time. And I love this text because in our text, Jesus finds himself in between now moments. On one hand, there is a synagogue leader we'll talk about in a second. And on the other hand, there is a mere commoner. On one hand, there is a known name, an influential figure. And on the other hand, there is an unknown, unnamed, uninfluential follower. On one hand, there's this unknown woman with the 12-year infirmity. On the other hand, is this influential man whose daughter is a 12-year-old. And what we see here is that this woman in our text, who is unnamed and unknown, decided that now was her time, decided that now was her moment, decided that now was her season. Today was her day. And I'm here to remind you, today is your day. Now is your time. Now is your moment. Now is your season. But what might be holding you back? There are a few things that could have held the woman back, perhaps had held her back previously in previous years. And these are things that could hold us back as well. Uh, Take a look at verse 25 because I find this so fascinating that this woman, it says in the text, had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. What, what some people call in certain translation the issue of blood. An issue of blood makes it seem as though this is a light matter, makes it seem as though this is a small thing. But it was not a small thing. You see, this woman had been ceremonially unclean, bleeding for 12 years. And then it goes on to say in verse 26, she had, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. What could have kept her back? What could have stopped this woman from saying now is the moment? What might be stopping you from saying now is the moment? Well, first, it's the suffering of the situation. It's the suffering of the situation. You don't know suffering until you've tried everything you knew to try, and it still didn't work. You don't know suffering unless you've gone multiple years dealing with the same thing and you get to the end of your rope. You don't know suffering unless you're in a situation where you look around and you say, I've tried everything. I don't know what to do next. And I think there are a couple of people who are honest enough to admit that I've been there. Perhaps I'm there right now. Just wink at me. It's just you and me. Nobody else can see us. If that's you, why don't you wink at me? Why don't you wave at me and say, I've been in that situation or I just might be in that situation right now. I might be in the situation of looking around and saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel the suffering in my situation. I feel the suffering of the same thing over and over and over again. Perhaps it's the suffering of an infirmity in your body like this woman, but perhaps it's the suffering of a sickness in your soul, a sickness in your soul that is ravaging your heart, that is eroding your affections, that is making you not enjoy the presence of God, that is making you feel as though there's nothing that you can experience next that's robbing you of your hope, that's robbing you of your joy, that's robbing you of your peace. And perhaps this suffering of your situation is so great, it's so heavy that you don't know what to do. What does the woman do when she is in a suffering situation? What does the woman respond with? 
It's interesting. Verse 27 says this. When she heard about Jesus, <laughs> when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. The text seems to imply the reality that this woman may not have fully known who Jesus was, may have just passed by and saw Jairus bent down in front of Jesus, begging him to come heal his daughter from death. Perhaps this woman may have heard some secondhand or thirdhand testimonies about what Jesus could do in someone else's life. And perhaps as a last ditch effort, she said, I'm just going to press through the crowd and touch. And here's the interesting thing, because she thought, if I just touch the clothes, I'll be healed. You see, last week we talked about this idea of desire. Can I talk to you about another key word? It's called desperation. Are you desperate enough to get what you need from God? Are you desperate enough to say, I'm not dealing with the same thing again? Are you desperate enough to reach out and grab? Are you desperate enough to override the suffering of your situation? Are you desperate enough to say that this is the moment for change? Are you desperate enough not to run when you should be running backwards, when you should be running forward? Are you desperate enough to reach out with your hand, to reach out with both hands and say, I need to be healed. If I can just get in the presence, if I can just grab and there's a problem in our culture, our culture is so comfortable and casual that we have lost our desperation. We have lost our desire. We have lost our drive. And I'm here to remind you that the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water book, so my soul longs for you. I'm desirous of you. I'm thirsty for you. I need you, God. There is a sense in which we are always supposed to have lives that are marked by desperation, lives that are marked by a desire to stay in the presence of God. And if you've lost your desperation, I'm here to tell you that desperation will override the suffering of your situation. Desperation will push you beyond your limitations. Desperation will move you beyond your situation. Desperation will get you in the presence of God. And some of us have been suffering for so long that we've lost our desperation. We become comfortable in our infirmity. And God is telling you, now is the moment. Now is the time. Now is the season. Maybe it's not the suffering of your situation. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's that you're secondary in your surroundings. <laughs> Maybe it's not the suffering of your situation. Maybe it's that you're secondary in your surroundings. It's fascinating because when Jesus crosses over by the boat, verse 22 tells us that this large crowd was gathered around and Jairus, a synagogue leader, he came and he knelt before Jesus and he bowed down and he begged and pleaded. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And when you think about this, you have to understand the fact that Jairus, there's something about him that's so prominent in the culture. He's one of the synagogue leaders. People have speculated that Jairus probably chose the scriptures that were going to be read. There was probably some form of liturgy that he was a part of. He was very seen and known and very popular and honored and revered. And there's just something about this reality because it seems as though if the woman is looking at Jairus, and the woman is looking at her own situation, if the woman is hearing that it's a little girl and she's looking at her own situation, she would probably shrink back and say, I'm secondary in these surroundings. Have you ever felt like everybody else came first? Have you ever felt like everybody else was more important? Maybe not even to God, maybe just in your home, maybe just on your job. 
maybe just in your church, maybe just in your neighborhood, maybe just in your city. Everybody else is more important. And then you go into the spiritual realm and you realize that everybody else is getting healed and you're not. That God is moving on behalf of other people. Have you ever started to resent testimonies because you're tired of hearing how people got a breakthrough, but you didn't experience one yourself? Am I meddling in your business? Am I stepping on your toes? Am I crunching your toes right now? I'm just curious, is there someone in the house that knows a little bit of something about being secondary, being forgotten, being the one that they don't even mention, being the one that they take for granted, being the one that they don't acknowledge, being the one that is not the primary concern, being the one who feels forgotten? And the woman could have sat back and she could have simply said, I'm secondary in my surroundings. And because I'm secondary in my surroundings, then there's nothing for me. I'm just consigned to this fate. I want to encourage you with another word. We talked about desperation, but I want to encourage you with the second word. And when you feel like you're secondary in your surroundings, when you feel as though there is nothing that God is going to do for you because you're not important and you're inferior, can I mention the second word? The second word is disruption. <laughs> the woman was disruptive. The woman pushed through the crowd. And especially as a woman in this particular time, this would have been very, very uncouth for her to do. This would have been not even for her situation. It would have been improper for her to do. That's why she hesitated when Jesus called her forward. But she pushed through the crowd. She made noise. She made a scene to reach Jesus. And some of us need to drop the dignified nature. Some of us need to drop the fact that people know we have a title in front of our name and maybe some letters at the end of our name. And we need to say, I'm going to disrupt my situation. I'm going to disrupt my rhythm and my routine routine. I'm going to cry out to God. Some of us need to get over the fact that our parents or, or, or the people in our household haven't seen us cry, haven't seen us weep, haven't seen us scream, haven't seen us go into the presence of God. But if you really desperately desire God, you're willing to disrupt the status quo. You're willing to disrupt the things that have kept you bound. You're willing to disrupt your surroundings if you feel secondary and inferior and as though you're forgotten. And God is calling some of us to disrupt our rhythm, to flip the tables of our soul, to flip Flip the metaphorical tables in our mind and our heart. And he's calling for us to say, I, I truly desire this. I'm going to push through the crowd. It doesn't matter. I'll celebrate with my neighbor later. But right now, I need what God has for me. Right now, I need what God is going to do in my life. I need a touch from God. I need to touch God. And maybe it's the suffering of your situation. Maybe it's that you're secondary in your surroundings. But, but this is another thing that she faced. Maybe it's shame within society. Maybe it's shame within society. Perhaps you're not familiar with this, but obviously you know that anybody who's been bleeding for 12 years is in a bit of trouble. Obviously, you know, anybody who's been bleeding for 12 years, they probably don't smell very good. Obviously, you know that anybody who's been bleeding for 12 years has a medical condition, and if the doctors can't figure it out, and if the medical professionals can't figure it out, then there's something that's very deftly wrong. But it's not just that. You see, you have to understand that there's a level to which this woman is ostracized. Leviticus 15 would tell us that if a woman bleeds beyond her time, beyond her period, then that, that would make her ceremonially unclean. And I know we say that a lot and you don't really know what that means. Well, that just simply means that she couldn't be married. 
It, it means that whatever bed she lied down on, it would be unclean. Whatever person that she touched, they would be unclean. Whatever she put her hands on, that would be unclean. But it goes a step further. She couldn't worship. She couldn't worship. She wouldn't be allowed in the synagogue. She wouldn't be allowed to offer up sacrifices. And think about this. If everything you lie on is unclean, everything you sit on is unclean, everything you come in contact with is unclean, what type of shame exists in that society? What type of shame exists in society where we can't be honest about our infirmity? What type of shame exists in our society when we make big sins and little sins and we talk about certain things more than we talk about other things because those things make us embarrassed. Those things make us disgusted. Those things make us seem as though, oh, we can't be with those people. We can't be with the people who are participating in this. But isn't it something that the woman pushes past all of it, pushes past the shame of society? And Jesus says, turns around and tells her, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has given you your healing. And Jesus points her out in front of the whole crowd, not to shame her, but to praise her. And isn't it interesting that there are many people in our society that are being shamed, that don't need to be shamed. They need to be applauded. That don't need to be put down. They need to be lifted up. That don't need to be looked down upon. They need to be affirmed. Who don't need to be pressed down. They need to be elevated. We have to be careful, church, about allowing a shame society, the shame in our society, to have us missing people who need a touch from God, missing people who are reaching from God. If you're reaching from God, God says, come. Doesn't matter your situation. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter your past. None of that matters. If you're reaching for God, God says, come. And the shame in society keeps some of us back. The shame in our church culture keeps some of us back. But the woman said, forget all that. I'm going for what God has for me. With everything that she was facing, the suffering of her situation, being secondary in her surroundings, the shame within society, she still reaches out and touches. And verse 30 is so interesting. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? Who touched me? And the disciples, their response is so interesting. They say, you see the people crowding around you, against you, and yet you ask, who touched me? See, the disciples are thinking rational, but Jesus is thinking spiritual. The disciples are being practical. Jesus is gauging the powerful. The disciples say, Jesus, everyone is touching you, but Jesus reminds them that you can be next to something and not experience the power of it. You can be proximate and not receive the power. Everybody who's around Jesus isn't truly touching Jesus. And a lot of people have proximity to Jesus, but not the power of Jesus, not the presence of Jesus, not the deliverance of Jesus, not the redemption of Jesus. And some of us have to be honest about the fact that we've just been in the crowd, proximate with no power. What the writer says is a form of godliness, but lacking, denying the power thereof. And God is calling us today to take an inventory of our hearts and to say, have you just been proximate to me with no power? Have you just been around with no anointing? Have you just been in the crowd with no deliverance? with no redemption, with no sanctification, will you reach for me? Will you reach out and touch the tassels of my garment? Will you reach out and touch beyond your situation? Will you reach out and touch beyond your surrounding? Will you reach out and touch beyond the shame of society? Will you reach me? 
And God is saying today that whoever will reach and touch, whoever will reach out in faith, they will be healed. They will be delivered. They will be set free. The chains will be broken. The yokes will be destroyed. Are you ready to reach church? Are you ready to reach out and experience the power? Are you ready to reach out and understand that God is asking the question, who is willing to touch me? I love this fact, and we'll close. I love this fact that Jesus is asking who touched me, but he's really asking a question within a question. Jesus is asking the question, who has the audacity to reach out and touch in faith, expecting me to do something? <laughs> who has the audacity to reach out and touch in faith, expecting me to do something? Who has the gall? Who has the audacity? Who has the determination to reach out and touch? That's a question I ask you today. Do you have the audacity to reach out and touch Jesus? The audacity to believe that Jesus can heal. The audacity to believe that Jesus can save. The audacity to believe that Jesus can deliver. And if that's you, I want, you, I want to challenge you to do something. There are two things that God placed upon my heart in preparing this sermon. Two things that I, he told me to specifically give the call for. The first of which is this. For those of you who are not saved, I, I know in our culture, you know, that's not something we typically talk about. I, I know we don't like to talk about the fact that we need eternal rescue. But for those of you who have not made the decision to follow Jesus and no turning back, now is the time. I'm making a specific appeal. God told me to carve out some time and reach out to those who need to be saved. It doesn't matter if it's during the service. It doesn't matter if it's after. It doesn't matter if it's later on, many months down the line. I believe that God wants me to reach out and give someone the opportunity and to tell them now is the accepted time. Today is the moment of salvation. If you have been proximate to Jesus, but you know in your heart of hearts, you know in your soul that you are not transformed, that your sins have not been forgiven because you have not confessed them, that you have not repented of them. I want you to type home in the comments. I want you to type home in the comments to say that you are coming home I sense it and feel it upon my heart so strongly that I believe someone is going to reach out. Even if you don't reach out publicly, you're going to reach out privately. There's someone that needs to hear this message that now is the moment. Today is the day. No longer proximate. No longer in the vicinity, but not experiencing the power. Today is the day. I want you to reach out. I'm getting ready to pray for you here. But the second is for those of us who are already saved, who are part of this church, who are in this church. Listen, God told me it's time to turn the intensity up. It's time to turn the intensity up. It's time to disrupt the rhythm. It's time to flip the tables. It's time to go to another level. And I want to challenge you to do something audacious this week. What might audacity look like for you? For some of you, audacity might be you're making the decision to tell someone about your faith. For, for some of you, the audacity of reaching out and touching God might be that you sign up and you admit that you need a therapist. For, for others of you, it might be the audacity enough to ask God for healing. 
For others of you, you might need an accountability partner. You might need to reach out to someone and do something audacious to get some accountability so that your life can be marked by responsibility and integrity. For others of you, it's a special seed that you need to sow today. For others of you, it might be something, it might be a phone call that you need to make and ask for someone's forgiveness. It might be a phone call you need to make to forgive someone who asks you and you deny them because you were in your feelings. Whatever it may be, I want to challenge you to do something audacious. And I want to challenge you not just to say you will, but to write it down right now. We got time. I want to challenge you to open up your notes app, and I want you to write it down. I want to challenge you to grab a pen and paper. And if you don't know yet, just make the commitment. I will do something audacious this week, and I'm praying to God about what that looks like. Some of you are going to be forced into it. Others of you, you need to make the conscious choice. And whatever it is, I challenge you to do it. I challenge you to make that commitment. Now is the moment. Now is the time. Who touched me? Who has the audacity to believe that I can heal, that I can save, that I can change? I don't know about you, but I want to be audacious enough to look past my situation, my surroundings, and society and reach for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, we felt your presence today. God in heaven, we ask that you would meet all of us today in different ways. I pray for those who need salvation. I pray that they would be honest enough to admit that they need to be saved. And I pray that they'd reach out. I pray that as we lead them into the sinner's prayer, as we lead them into eternal life, that their lives are forever changed and transformed. And God, I also pray for those of us who need to take an audacious step, audacity to reach through, reach past everything, and to reach for our healing, to reach for our deliverance, to reach for our wholeness. God, whatever people need to do, whether it's calling a loved one, whether it's sharing their faith, whether it's taking a step towards mental health, whether it's taking a step towards emotional health, whether it's taking a step towards spiritual integrity, whether it's sowing a seed, a special seed in the offering, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would move upon hearts and move upon hearts in such a way that they will have immediate obedience, that they will look out and say there is something that God is calling for me to do. There is something that God desires for me to do. And even though it may not make sense to me, I'm going to reach for it. God, I thank you that you are good enough, you are accessible enough, relatable enough to be touched. But you are divine enough to save, divine enough to heal. We give you, we give you the praise. We give your name the praise. We lift your name high in the earth. And we say, God, give us the courage to be audacious this week and for the rest of this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, church, for tuning in. I pray that you will do something audacious. I pray that you will move with audacity and that God will bless you accordingly. Be blessed. I'll see you next week. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I want to pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, if you say, God, I wanna give my life to you for real this time. 
I want to follow you in everything that I say and I do. Transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going. And I just want to follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's an alive and risen. And thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We want to celebrate you. We want to be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings. Or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy. And we love you so much. Peace. But I believe it's still an open door if you don't see it Just as long as I know my purpose, I won't lose it, I can't leave it I get knocked down all the time, it doesn't mean that I'm defeated I'm going through changes, through changes Where's grace? Know my place, yeah, I made mistakes But I 